There we go. Luke 24. Luke 24 is where we're going to be this afternoon. Always excited about Easter Sunday and the opportunity to preach uh, about the resurrection of Christ. There was a, a family, a man, his wife, and his mother-in-law took a trip to Israel to go visit the Holy Land. While they were there, the mother-in-law passed away. The, uh, their man there in Israel said, we can ship her back to the States for $5,000, or you can bury her here in the Promised Land, the Holy Land, for $150. The man thought about it for a moment, and he said, uh, we'll go ahead and ship her back to the States. And the man puzzled, said, well, why would you spend $5,000 when you could bury her here for $150? It's the Holy Land. It's a great place. And he said, well, about 2,000 years ago, a man died, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. So, Luke 24. Make sure you tell your in-laws you love them today. Luke 24 is the story of the resurrection of Christ. We'll read a few verses. We're going to look at uh, a couple things this morning from these passages as well as from a couple other passages that we're going to look at too. Uh, but let's read, starting in Luke 24, starting in verse number 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, uh, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. We're going to pray and look at the thoughts today surrounding the resurrection of our Lord. Lord, again, we come to you praising you, thanking you uh, for the fact that you are alive today. And God, I pray that we would live our lives motivated around and centered around the thought that we serve a living Savior. God, I pray that as we look at this passage and these thoughts, I know they are familiar. God, I pray that today you would give us something fresh. We would learn that we would grow closer to you. And God, I pray that as I pre, uh, present it, God, that I would do so in a way that is clear, in a way that is correct. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here the story, and you can look in, in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give an account of the uh, resurrection of Christ. And there are some extra, some different details in each, in each passage that you can see different things uh, in there. But here in Luke, we read of the account that Luke gives and we see here as they come to uh, anoint the body after it's buried, after it, the death of Christ, they were coming prepared to anoint now the body of Christ uh, there in the, the tomb. And actually one of the Gospels tells us that the ladies that were coming to do this began to wonder, how in the world are we going to get in there? The stone that is in front is heavy. Uh, hopefully someone is there to help us get this stone rolled away. But when they arrive at the sepulcher, they find the stone is already open. I want us to learn, first of all today, to trust truth. Number one today is trust truth. We see here in verses 3 through 9, really, the story. And the ladies came, 
And when they came, it says in verse number 2, they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed. They were confused, right? Wouldn't you be too? They walk up to the, to the tomb, to the sepulcher, and uh, they walk, and the stone is already rolled away. And so the thought is, well, who is here? Who came? Uh, who rolled the stone away? All those sorts of things, trying to figure out exactly what it was that was going on. They were perplexed. Oftentimes, as Christians, we are perplexed when we should be comforted. Uh, they came up here, and the, the, thinking through, and we get to it, and we'll get to it in a minute, but uh, they, they come to the, to the tomb, and it's empty. The body is not there. Instead of thinking back to what God had said he was going to do, and be comforted by the fact that God had risen, at this point they were perplexed. They were confused. They were wondering what is going on. We don't understand. We don't know, whatever it may be. But many, uh, we think that we don't understand, or many of the things that we think that we're not understanding are things that we should be comforted over, as opposed to being perplexed by. He is not here. He is risen. You know, it's this thought that as Christians, we go through and we see things going on in the world and we see the, the chaos and all that kind of stuff, and it can perplex us, can't it? The, the idea that this world is chaos, that there's craziness going on, the, uh, the, uh, the things that are happening, the natural events that are happening, the storms and things like that, the political things that are happening, and boy, we can sit there and go, why is this happening? Well, the Bible tells us why it's happening. It's because the Lord is coming back soon. And we can be perplexed by all that's going on when actually we should be comforted by the fact that Jesus is about to return. When, I don't know. I don't claim to know. The Bible says I can't know, so I don't even try. But I can assume by the things that are happening in the world and by what the Bible says that it appears at the very least that Jesus will return soon. That should give me comfort as opposed to being perplexed by all that is happening in the world. In verse number 6, the angel says, well, in verse number 5, the angel says, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? The angel says, Don't you remember what he told you was going to happen? Verse 7, the angel says, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And verse 8 says, they remembered his words. That light bulb moment. Oh, yeah. He did say that. He did say that he was going to die. He did say that he was going to rise again three days later. So it's not only that he is not here, it is the fact that he is risen. And just as he said he was going to do, we have to trust truth. He said it was going to happen. Guess what? It was true. You know, you won't remember what you've never read. You want to trust truth, you have to know truth. You have to read the Scriptures. You have to read the Bible. Because if you don't, you won't know what it says. You can depend on me to tell you, but guess what? We're only here so much. I'm not going to be able to tell you everything. You've got to read the Scriptures to know truth. In order to trust truth, you have to know truth, and you won't know what you haven't read. You won't trust truth if you don't know the truth. Verse 5 uh, tells us the truth is uh, the fact that God lives. And it says the wonderful question, why seek ye the living among the dead? Why are you here looking for Jesus in a sepulcher, in a tomb? He's not here, silly. He's alive, just as he said he would be. 
You see the disciples and these ladies, the followers of Christ, for whatever reason, when Christ said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again three days later, it did not click with them that three days later was right now, that the death was three days ago, that he is going to rise again. I believe there was hope. I believe there was even some faith in some things. But I, for whatever reason, they did not grasp the concept that three days later is now. And when they, the angel said, don't you remember what he said in Galilee while he was still there, that he was going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to rise again on the third day? It clicked with the ladies that were there. They go, oh, that's right. He did say that. Trust truth. Matthew tells uh, us in the book of Matthew when it's talking about this, this account, he talks about the fact that the guards who were there to guard the sepulcher because God had said, Jesus had said, I'm going to rise again in three days. Everyone knew that. And so the, the powers that be said, we need people to guard the tomb to make sure that no one comes and steals Jesus' body. And the, uh, what happens is, we read it in Matthew, we're not going to take the time to read it this morning, but what happens in Matthew that tells you is that this uh, loud noise came, bright light came, the angel appeared, and the, the guards for all purposes fainted. It says that they were as they were dead, they fell over. They fainted because of what was happening, and uh, then when they came to, or whatever it may be, the tomb was empty. So they were scared. What normally, what might be a, a, an offense that could be punished by death, was not that way because everybody was in on this scheme, right? And so uh, here we see that uh, the government told the, the soldiers, they say, we want you to lie about what happened. We want you to say you were asleep, and while you were asleep, someone came and stole the body. As opposed to punishing the guards, they, they, they paid them, literally paid them, to tell a lie. So the guards would begin to tell the story. It began to spread. Jesus' body was stolen. But that's not the truth. That's not what happened. The truth is, is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he proves it because he showed himself to numerous people after his resurrection as well. But there was this, this falsehood, and we've talked about it in the past sermons, falsehood that is being put out there, trying to get you to believe what is not true. You have to trust truth. What is truth? The Bible is truth. Read it, know it, listen to it, so that you can know what truth is, so that you can trust the truth that is there. Number two this morning I want you to see for yourself. I already mentioned it, that Jesus showed himself to other people after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. But I want you to see for yourself. Look in verse number 10. Uh, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman, I always like that, uh, uh, that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. The, the angels told them in verse 9 to go and tell the, the eleven. They do that, so these ladies go back to tell the 11. Verse 11, their words seem to them as idle tales, and they believe them not. Ladies, come back. Um, husbands, if you've ever had your wife tell you a story and you, you kind of shook your head and go, that can't be true. Um, I don't know about you all. I'm a sports fan, and so there are times where maybe I was gone or whatever, and the TV was on, and Katie saw something in sports happen, and, you know, you can't believe what happened. This happened. I'm like, no, that doesn't sound realistic. That team couldn't have won. Now, that doesn't make any sense. You don't believe it. These ladies came back and they said, guys, we were at the, the tomb. We went to anoint the body and, 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 and do what was necessary there. And we got there and the, the stone was rolled away and there were angels that were there. And they told us Christ is risen, uh, just as he said he was going to do. And they told us to come back and tell you. And the, the 11 apostles said, that doesn't sound, no, what? That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? 
And so it says there in verse number 12, Then arose Peter, and he ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves, and departed wondering in themselves at that which was come to pass. Peter said, I don't believe you. He took off running to go look at the tomb. And in another passage it tells us two of the disciples took off, and they went to the tomb, and they looked, and he got inside, and, and there was no body of Jesus there. He had to see it for himself. We know the account of Thomas. Thomas uh, was not with the eleven, uh, with the ten, uh, when Jesus first appeared unto them. And when Thomas showed up, they said, Jesus was here. And Thomas goes, what? No, that can't be true. Later on, Jesus appeared again, and Thomas was there. And Jesus said, see for yourself, feel for yourself, touch the wounds that I have on my side. Touch the wounds that I have. Thomas saw for himself, and then he believed. You don't have to take my word for it when it comes to the things of God. You can see it for yourself. The Bible tells you everything that I'm telling you and much, much more. You can see it for yourself. It's a wonderful thing that in America we have the Bible and we can get it almost anywhere. I believe Walmart still sells it. The Dollar Tree still sells it. Uh, the bookstores sell it. You can get it online. You can get it in so many places. You can find the scriptures and you can for yourself see what God says and what God did. You can see it for yourself. The Bible tells us all. We can look around and see for ourselves in creation who God is and what God is capable of. I've told the story before, but the first time that I flew on an airplane, I flew from Dayton to Chicago, I believe it was, and I'd never flown before. I was 15, 16, somewhere in that range. We get in the plane, and it's still kind of dark outside when we're, when we're at the airport. It was early in the morning. And uh, I was with my grandfather's church. We were going to Puerto Rico. And uh, so me and Grandpa, we get in the plane, and uh, I'm sitting by myself. It was one of those planes that had two seats on one side of the aisle and one seat on the other side of the aisle. So I'm sitting in the one seat by myself and uh, getting ready to go and to take off. And uh, the flight attendant comes by. This has nothing to do with this part, but she says, Would you like something to drink? I said, well, what do you have? And she just went through the list, and she mentioned Dr. Pepper, and I said, oh, is it free? She goes, yeah. I said, I'll take with Dr. Pepper then. You know, Dr. Pepper at 5 o'clock in the morning, that's a pretty good deal. And uh, so she brought me a Dr. Pepper, and I began sipping on the Dr. Pepper. Well, it's time to take off. And so we take off from the airport, and the sun was now out. And as we were lifting up into the air, and you can kind of see all the stuff below you, the buildings and the fields and things like that, then all of a sudden we went through the clouds, as we got through the clouds, you know, it's all white when you're going through the clouds. Then we got above the clouds. And I could just see a floor of clouds below me. And at that age, 15, 16 years old, I said in my head, God, this is incredible. I, I like nature. I'm not a tree hugger, but I like nature. I like being in the woods. I like being outside. I like bonfires. I like the ocean, to look at the ocean. I like lakes. I like mountains. I like all those things, but I'd never seen that view before in my life, and I'll never forget the beauty that was there. And I remember, you know, at that age, I wasn't a bad kid, but, you know, I wasn't a super godly kid either. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is incredible. This is proof to me of God. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. We can know that God exists. We can know that God is real. 
We can know that God is alive by what we see. You can see it for yourself. God doesn't want you to just hear about who he is. He wants you to experience for yourself who he is. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. You can see for yourself. You can experience for yourself who God is. <clears throat> when Jesus was on the earth, some of John the Baptist's disciples were uh, asked by John to go check and make sure that this truly was Jesus. Because John was pointing the way. He was telling people, Jesus is coming. And so he sent his disciples to go see, and they went to Jesus, and they said, we're followers of John, and he asked us to come and see if you are truly Jesus. And Jesus said, come. And he invited them to spend the day with him, and they, they listened to him teach, and they watched what he did. And they knew by what they saw that he was who he said that he was. And they went back and reported to John, and soon after Jesus would come to John as well and be baptized. But Christ is not afraid of you experiencing him. There are some people who don't want you to get close to them because they don't want you to know who they really are. There are, there are co-workers who are like, I'm okay spending a few hours with you during the day, but I don't want you to see me outside of work. There are bosses. That happens a lot with bosses. I don't want you to see me outside of work. But nonetheless, with Jesus, he's not afraid of that. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to pray and see the reward that you receive. He wants you to trust and see how he gets you through. He wants you to do all these things, and most importantly, he wants you to come to him in faith and receive the gift of salvation that he offers. He wants you to see for yourself. Number one, trust truth. Number two, see for yourself. Number three, my favorite, claim victory. Claim victory. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Before we get to number three, if you're in Luke 24, look in verse 36. Um, he says, And as they spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And he saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do, you, uh, do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And then Jesus ate in front of them to prove he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost. He is there in flesh. It is truly him who is alive. See it for yourself. Now number three, claim victory. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15? We looked at this passage uh, um, when uh, missionary James Overton was with us. <clears throat> this is the passage I like to go to at funerals. Um, if, a, if a Christian person has passed away, to me it's a very encouraging passage. What we see here in 1 Corinthians 15, claiming victory. Look in verse 55 towards the end of the chapter. Verse 55, O death... Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Claim victory. The sting of death is sin, it says. The Bible says that all have sinned. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Sin is the sting of death. Sin is what caused death. 
The reason why Jesus Christ died was because of sin, not his sin, but mine. You see, sin stings, and it's the sting of death. The Bible goes on to say, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. He gave it to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you get a gift, it has to be paid for. What makes it a gift is the fact that you didn't pay for it. Right? If you, uh, the older you get, the harder this becomes to get gifts you didn't pay for. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, a gift is something you don't have to pay for. It's something that someone else got for you and gave to you. And God says that he sent his only begotten son as a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans uh, a gift, excuse me, not only does a gift have to be paid for, but the gift has to be received. Have you ever been somewhere and someone said, uh, um, offers you something for free, and you said, no thank you? It doesn't matter that it's been paid for, you didn't receive it. So you never got it. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gift's been paid for. It's been presented. The question is, are you going to receive it? The Bible says in Romans 10, verse 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back in Luke 24, verse 46, it says that Christ said, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations. The Bible says that there is a gift that has been offered. But the gift isn't yours until you take it, until you receive it, until that moment. You see, even though God loved the world, and even though God sent His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth could have everlasting life and not perish, the Bible says the gift is paid for and it's here for you. Are you going to take it? Because the Bible says in Romans, as we just read, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him, God, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believes, and with the mouth man confesses. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are people that like to overcomplicate God's gift of salvation. There will be people who teach, and they'll say, listen, you've got to believe on Jesus, and you have to pray this prayer, and you have to do this good thing, and you have to do this and this, and this. And if you mess any of that up, you've got to start all over and do it again. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible also says that it's eternal life. Do you know what eternal means? It means forever. Everlasting life. It's everlasting. It lasts forever. Being saved is not something you do every time you mess up. That's called forgiveness. Confession. Not confession like the Catholics, but confessing to Christ that you sin, and God says, I'll forgive you. If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, all unrighteousness, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what God says. So that's what we do when we sin. We go back to God and say, God, I have sinned. God, please forgive me. That's not salvation again. That's just getting your life right with God. When it comes to salvation, God says, here's the gift, and there's a gift that's eternal life. It's everlasting life. It's forever. And it's here, and it's available to you. But you still have to take the gift. I've never met a kid who at Christmas had a gift under the tree with their name on it, and you say, that's yours, and they go, eh, it's okay. I'll pass. They open it up, and they go, why did you get me socks? But they don't ever reject it, right? They still take the socks, don't they? They'll complain about it, but they'll still take them. You see, when it comes to the gift of God, the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means that if you believe on him, that if you call on him, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that you call upon the name of the Lord, he will save you. You see, we're talking about claiming victory because, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory comes by God and by God alone. He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that offers the gift. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. The Bible says in Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace offered by God, received by faith. It really is that simple. And it's all made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've said it before, but if Jesus died on the cross but didn't raise from the dead, what would it matter? It wouldn't matter a thing. If he was still dead, he would just be like all the other so-called gods out there. A wooden statue, a metal idol, a false hope. But he's not dead. He's alive. Just as the ladies who came to the tomb and they looked in and they were perplexed and the angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. The same is true today. He's not dead, he's alive. And because he's alive, we can claim victory. How do we claim the victory? Just as the Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ, in talking to the eleven back in Luke, he says, the fact that Christ suffered and died and rose again from the grave, now you should go forth preaching repentance and remission of sins to all the nations. If you look at it in Matthew, it says, go ye into all the world 
If you look at it in the other Gospels, it's going and preach to every creature. It's the same thing. Our job now as Christians, if you've already accepted the gift of salvation, your job now is to go out, and we use the word preach, and that scares people. We go out and preach the Gospel to everyone. Preach just means proclaim, it just means talk. You don't have to get behind a pulpit. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to have a church to preach. You just go out and proclaim it. You tell anyone that will listen. Whether it be your, your children, whether it be your parents, whether it be your siblings, whether it be an aunt, uncle, cousins, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a coworker, whether it be some random stranger that you meet along the way, God says go and preach the gospel to them. Why? Because God sent his gift of a son to this world for the purpose of dying to take on the weight of my sins upon him on the cross. But thanks be to God. Because of his resurrection, we have the victory that we can claim. Have you ever been weighed down by sin and you thought, I can't overcome this. I can't stop this. I can't, I can't get past this. this. This burden and this sin, I just, I've tried to stop. I've tried to win. I've tried all these things and I just can't stop. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. Listen, it's not just going to say that we're perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But as I've told you millions of times, that doesn't mean it's an excuse for us to keep on sinning. It doesn't mean it's okay. Well, I'm human, so I'm going to make mistakes, so it's all right. Listen, you are human, and yes, you are going to make mistakes, but it's not all right. God wants you to come to him and, and ask forgiveness for that sin and ask for strength to overcome that sin so you don't maintain it, so you don't keep on going with it. I've met many people who are dragging around the baggage of their past with them. And they'll say, Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You don't understand why I'm the way that I am. You don't understand why I won't come to church because the whole church will fall down on top of me. But man, if it hasn't fallen on me, it's not going to fall on you. Church is here for the, the healing. Church is here for the restoration of a, of a Christian one who has fallen. Church is here for the salvation of one who has not yet been saved. Church is here for the sick and the weary and the heavy laden. Church is here for the beaten and the broken. Church is here, it's not here for religious people. Jesus didn't go to the Pharisees and spend all his time with them. No, he went to a tax collector. He went to the fishermen. He went to the, to the masses that were sick, that were hurt, that, that needed healing. Not just physical healing, emotional healing. God went to the broken. He ate lunch with some of the most wicked people out there, and the, the religious went, why in the world is he eating with them? Because <laughs> they're the ones that need Jesus. The religious do too, but their heart's too prideful to understand it. If we ever get to the point where we say, well, I'm dressed up, and I'm all nice and, and fancy, and I'm all uh, godly and religious, and those people over there, boy, they sure need Jesus. That's not the spirit that God had. God agrees they need Jesus, but not in that spirit. Sadly, many churches across the world today have people sitting in the pews looking at people who walk in on Easter and go, uh, how dare they come just once a, once a year? How dare they dress like that? How dare they think that they can come here and eat our lunch? What a sad spirit to have. I'm thankful our church doesn't have that spirit. Religion's not what saves. Jesus is what saves. Religion is not what makes life important. Jesus is what makes life important. Religion is not what gives us victory. Jesus 
is what gives us victory. And it comes by him and through him alone. This morning there is a gift and it's available for you. It's Jesus Christ. It's eternal life. It's been paid for. The question is, are you going to say no thank you? Or are you going to say yes please? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the purpose of paying the debt of your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died and that he was buried and that three days later he rose again? Do you believe that Jesus can save you? That Jesus can forgive your sins? That Jesus can take you to heaven when your life on this earth is done? If you do, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Accept the gift. Sometimes we, we think that, uh, you know, we've got to do something spectacular. Uh, I've heard people talk about, you know, the moment I got saved, I heard the birds clear singing behind me. It didn't happen for me. I was saved at the age of four. I was very young. I'd been around preaching my entire life and had heard about hell and heaven. Granted, I didn't know everything, but at the age of four, in the middle of the summer, the electricity went out. No power. So we had candles lit. I lived at the, the church camp, and we had an um, outdoor uh, uh, basketball court and had a roof over the top, big old metal beams going up the side uh, that held the roof up. And one of the workers that was there at camp, when the lights went out, was still thinking it would be fun to play basketball, and he ran headfirst into one of those metal beams. And uh, so they called an ambulance to come. I'm sitting in my house one summer evening, the lights are out, candles are lit, and I hear sirens going by. It's terrified. It's dark, sirens, whatever it may be. My fingernail fell off. And I remember sitting there in my house at the age of four, thinking if my fingernail just fell off, and the power's out, and there's ambulances around, something bad is happening, and this may be it. And it made me understand the urgency of accepting the gift that Jesus offered me. Because I thought, who knows what's happening next. Maybe the sky is falling, I don't know. At the age of four, my mother led me to the Lord. She reminded, went through the passages again, and reminded me what God said of how someone can be saved. You think of a four-year-old and you think of the, a, a prayer from a four-year-old, it's not very sophisticated. I don't remember what I said. Um, I don't remember the words that I used, but I've heard four-year-olds pray, and it's not very, uh, not very sophisticated, right? But God heard me. And that night, I accepted the gift of salvation that Jesus offered me. I've told you about my friend Scott. Scott's a pastor in Indiana now. But Scott was in prison when he heard the gospel presented again to him. And he understood he was in need to receive that gift of salvation. And he did. I know another man who was a drug dealer driving across Oklahoma to Indiana delivering drugs. And one day he picked up a piece of paper that had on it how he could know for sure he was going to heaven and he read the verses that were on there and he accepted the gift that God offered him 
and he turned away from the life that he was living. Today, he serves faithfully in his local church. I know pastor's kids. They grew up in church. There was a moment in their life where they realized being a pastor's kid doesn't get me to heaven. I need to accept the gift that God's offered me. Good kids. You look at them and go, they're mighty near perfect, respectful and kind and all these sorts of things, but at 8 years old, 6 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, whatever it may be, even though they lived a good life, they understood, I need to accept this gift. From what you would consider to be the best to what you would consider to be the worst, it all happens the same way. Accepting the gift that Jesus offered you. You know what the great thing is, is you can do it today. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to talk to me. You have to talk to God. I can't save you. My goodness, I'm just as human as you are. I've made just as many mistakes as you have. Maybe different ones, but nonetheless, many of them. I can't do anything for you, but God sure can. Why? Because thanks be to God, given us the victory. Today, will you claim the victory? It's up to you. It's your choice. I can't make you do anything. No one else can make you do anything. It's, it's between you and God, a decision you must make. In just a moment, we're going to pray and the piano's going to play. But I want to encourage you before we do that, this morning if you would say, you know what, preacher, I, I've never accepted that gift. But I want to today. We're not in the business of embarrassing people. We would never dare do that. Well, not, not in this way. We embarrass Miss Kathy all the time, but uh, we, won't, we won't do it this time. This morning if you'd say, I want to receive that gift, you can do it right where you're sitting. Again, it's not a magic prayer, but if I may just offer a sample prayer to you. Something as simple as, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that you died for me. God, I know that you rose from the dead. God, I know I deserve hell, but I know that you've offered me this gift of salvation. And God, I want to receive that gift of salvation. God, would you save me? Something as simple as that. If you mean it in your heart, God will save you. And you can do it right where you're sitting. Today is the day to claim victory. Today's the day we celebrate a risen Savior. And there's no better day than today to accept the gift that he's offered you. The gift of eternal life. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. We've looked at your word. Lord, we've looked at the, 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 the wonderful story of your resurrection from the grave. That you can offer us and give us victory. And God, I pray today that you would help us that are Christians, that God, we would go forward with that victory, living the life that you want us to live. And God, I pray for those this morning that have not yet received that gift, that today, that right now, God, they would claim the gift of salvation and claim that victory. God, help us. For with you, we are nothing. But God, with you, all things are possible. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to remain seated this morning. And the piano is playing. Christian friend, if you're here this morning and you haven't been living in the victory that you've received, would you, would you ask God to help you today? Maybe you have sin in your life that's unforgiven, that you've yet to confess to God, that you've yet to, take, yet to take to Him and ask for His forgiveness. Would you do that right now and claim that victory over sin and determine and rededicate and surrender yourself to God to live moving forward from today as God would have you to live? Friend, if you're here this morning 
and you've yet to receive that gift, and you'd say, this morning, I would like to receive that gift, you can do that right where you are. If you want someone to talk with you, someone to show you from the Bible the verses again, someone to explain or answer questions, we'd be more than happy to do that this morning. But if you this morning know I'm a sinner, I know I deserve hell, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, and I'm putting my faith on him today to receive that gift of salvation, you can do it right where you are by just asking God. There's no magic words. It's just a conversation between you and him receiving the gift. This morning, if you're here and you would say, Pastor, before this morning, I, have, I did not receive the gift that God's offered me, but this morning I am receiving that gift. Today I have decided I want to receive that gift, and I'm doing that right where I sit. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray and thank the Lord with you? Anybody like that this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to receive that gift. I'm going to do it right here, right now. Praise the Lord. It's available, and it's available at any time. But don't wait. Don't hesitate. Is there anybody this morning that would say, uh, Preacher, uh, I do want to receive that gift, but I still have some questions. Don't embarrass me, but if you're willing to pray for me, um, and, and maybe at some point we can talk, would you just slip your hand up in the air so I know, and then you can stick it back down. Anybody like that? Wonderful. All right. Lord, I pray for your help, and I thank you, Lord, for what you do for us. I thank you for the gift that you offer. God, I thank you for those that have received it this morning. God, I pray that you would help us as we move forward today, that we would live in light of the victory that you offer. God, as sin weighs us down, as sin gets in the way, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to, to call on you. Lord, you say you will carry our burdens. Lord, I pray that we'll cast our cares on you. Lord, I pray that we'll cast our sin, Lord, to you for forgiveness, that we can live moving forward in victory. God, that's what I seek today. So help us. Help us as Christians to live obedient, faithful to you. And Lord, I continue to pray if there is anyone who's yet to receive the gift that today, Lord, they would receive the gift of salvation. Lord, we seek you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. We surely appreciate it. Uh, we have lunch provided. If you can stick around and stay for lunch, we've got ham and fried chicken and all kinds of sides and desserts and everything as well. We've got plenty of food for everybody. So if you would stay, it would make us ecstatic uh, in the, if you would. We have a 1 o'clock service today. Even if you stay for lunch, you don't have to stay for the 1 o'clock service. We'd like for you to, but you don't have to. We won't, we won't guilt you if you don't. But we would love for you to stay for lunch. If you can, join us at 1 o'clock for that service as well. Uh, we look forward to that. Um, Wednesday night, we'll meet at 7 o'clock for our Bible study and prayer time. Next Sunday, uh, same service times as regular as well. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you have any questions, if you want to talk, please, by all means, uh, catch me and let me know. And, uh, but, but it's been a pleasure to be in church with you today, and we look forward to what the Lord has for us the rest of the way. Let's be dismissed. Lord bless you.